Well, as you may have just heard on the news, the Conservative Party of Canada's Leadership Election Organizing Committee says it has disqualified candidate Patrick Brown from the race over allegations of serious allegations or allegations of wrongdoing. Serious allegations of wrongdoing, says a statement tonight uh, that appear to violate the financial provisions of the Canada Elections Act, the party said in a statement. Following our rules and procedures for the 2022 leadership, the chief returning officer notified the Patrick Brown campaign of the allegations and asked for a written response, the press release reads. He also Withheld the inter- he was also uh, he also withheld the interim membership list from the Patrick Brown campaign. Quote, the information provided to date by the Patrick Brown campaign did not satisfy concerns about their compliance with our rules and procedures and or the Canada Elections Act. The chief returning officers therefore recommended uh, that uh, they disqualify Patrick Brown. And earlier tonight, uh, the leadership did so. The party will be sharing the information it has gathered with Elections Canada, who is responsible for ensuring compliance with and enforcement of the Canada Elections Act. Uh, Nothing on social media yet from Patrick Brown. Certainly lots of people talking about this already. What, what may have led to it, what kind of impact it's going to have on the leadership race, uh, one that's often been called a battle for the very soul of the party. And certainly uh, the Brampton mayor, Patrick Brown, was seen as one of the front runners in this race, along with a few others. So we'll see what the reaction is. We'll see what the fallout is. Uh, it just so happens that earlier in the day, we'd spoken to Tasha Carradine, who has a new book out. Um, so we can't ask her about this just yet. But uh, she does make some very interesting <laughs> points about where this party should be heading. So on the heels of three straight election losses, um, leaders leaving, Aaron O'Toole being ousted by his own party, um, this really is a fight over what the Conservative Party stands for and how can it best connect with Canadian voters, particularly, it's often said, where elections are won these days in the suburbs of big Canadian cities such as Toronto. And Vancouver, does the future for the party lie in moving towards the middle, presenting better ideas for fixing the problems that the country faces, putting an optimistic face on this? Areas such as productivity, fiscal responsibility, healthcare, we talked about that earlier in the show, climate goals and supporting our energy industries, essentially the peace order and good government approach. Or does it lie in something more pointed, more populist, tapping into the frustration that's out there, putting a voice to that frustration, as we've seen with uh, with Pierre Polyev's campaign, for instance. Well, my next guest is a longtime conservative commentator, and she has outlined her beliefs in an extensive new book, Do It on Thursday. Um, joining me now is Tasha Carradin, a principal with Navigator Limited, Jean Charest's campaign co-chair, and author of the soon-to-be-released The Right Path, Conservatives Can Unite, Inspire, and Take Canada Forward, published by Optimum Publishing International. Tasha, thank you for your time. Oh, my pleasure, Ben. Thank you. So the inspiration for this, what uh, what led you to think, okay, I need to write this all down and I need to get a real pulse of what's happening in this country as far as the conservative movement is concerned? Well, um, as uh, your listeners probably know, I have been a conservative for all pretty much all of my adult life, at least since the age of 14, when I had joined the Progressive Conservative Party and was an active member for 15 years, was youth president, did a number of things. Um, but it's a, a conviction that I have really that I care very much about the fate of the Conservative Party and conservatism in general. And after the last election, I was inspired to start writing this book. And it took on, I guess, new urgency in early 2022 when the convoy came to Ottawa, when Aaron O'Toole uh, lost his job <laughs> and um, conservatives were plunged into a leadership race. So it's really designed not to uh, discuss you know, who should lead the party, but how the party should lead the country, because I fundamentally think that is the important question that's in front of conservative members right now. 
when you look back and, and when you went through the process of putting these thoughts down and talking to different people, if the conservative movement has indeed lost its way to some extent, maybe you'll disagree with that description, but if it's lost its ability to attract voters in a, under a broad tent, where did that happen, do you think? Well, I think it lost trust in the last three elections. And uh, it started really, I think, in 2015 with the barbaric cultural practices tip line or snitch line, um, where the party lost the trust of new Canadians that it had very successfully attracted under Stephen Harper and through Jason Kenney's efforts for many years. And um, then subsequently in 2019 and 2021, it failed to really I think get the trust of voters to know what it really stood for. I heard this from a number of candidates uh, with Aaron O'Toole, for example, who said that people at the door would say, well, what do you really stand for? What does he stand for on gun control? I hear this, then I hear that. Um, you know, within the party, uh, Aaron had run as a blue, blue conservative, true blue, and then he did take the party more center right. So even within the party, some of the faithful said, well, you know, what, what do we stand for? And there was this sense of, of we couldn't really trust what the conservatives were about. So that is where they've lost their way over the last three elections. Um, and I think that's the real issue that's got to be addressed now is that what the brand of the Conservative Party has to stand for something people trust and expect that they that that will be what they deliver. Uh, whoever becomes leader, I think, really has to run under the same thing that they run for leader as the party will run, because otherwise people will say you're inauthentic. The interesting dilemma there, of course, is that there are different ideas within the conservative movement about what the party should become. Uh, certainly with the influence of the U.S., you see this sort of uh, this more uh, populist move. Uh, we've seen that in this leadership race. Of course, your Jean Charest campaign co-chair, I should mention. Uh, where do you see that unfolding? Because clearly there are different theories within the party itself about where it should be headed and what exactly where it should land to be consistent with uh, with Canadian voters. Right. And we're seeing two real currents right now, uh, represented by different candidates. Uh, as you mentioned, I am working on Josh Ray's campaign. Um, this book, though, like I said, is not about the campaign. It's about a vision that I believe is the best for the party, a vision that not just Mr. Sheree, but a couple of the other candidates are more centrist. I would say, um, you know, Scott Aitchison uh, is one and Patrick Brown's another. Um, and then you have a more populist vein espoused by Roman Baber, uh, Baber rather, um, Leslie Lewis, and of course, Pierre Polyev. So you have these two currents that are appealing to different types of potential voters. And you're right, there is, um, I would say a conflict. There's only a conflict if you set it up the wrong way, in my view, because I think that there is a way to reconcile the issues that concern populists or that inflame populism without falling into the negative tropes that populism can, the dark places that it can go. And that's that's the concern, I think, on the minds of, of um, many, many conservatives, is that if you go down a path of populism, it takes you to places that Donald Trump went, it takes you to places, you know, of, of white supremacy, it also of you know, bad potential things. And that's not to say any of these campaigns are in that place now. But the point is that could things go there is the fear. So the book shows that, um, you know, through research and, and scholarship, and people who study this, you can address populist issues through policy means that don't fall into that. And that's what I say. Conservatism has a lot to offer in terms of equality of opportunity, which is the real issue when people can't get ahead and they feel the game is rigged against them and they don't have the same chance, fair chance to get uh, you know, what they want in life as the next person. Then they look to either blame people, scapegoat people, or look for you know an easy way out. 
get the gatekeepers out of the way, everything will be fine. Those simple answers, in my view, are not the answer for the party because they won't attract the mainstream voters that it needs to form government. So um, just short to answer your question is that the party has to decide which pool of voters it wants, center-right, or does it want the more populist PPC-type voter? It's that stark a choice. And I think that the more greater opportunity is in the center-right and I think it's also more in, in line with conservative principles traditionally. But how do you account then? Because, you know, you go to rallies and so on. And there's so much there's so much anger out there right now, specifically aimed at the prime minister. Uh, sure. But Pierre Polyev has, has, has managed, I think, to, to tap into some deep seated um, animosity out there. And it's not just about sort of hating, hating the liberals, but it's a lot of you know, people who feel a lot of what's been going on in government the last uh, while has been unfair to them. How do you. How do you account for the for the anger uh, and and still maintain that sort of the line that you're looking to to achieve, which is to try to sell a positive message? Well, um, right now the message that's being sent is that there's not enough freedom, you know, and I can see how that can relate to things like people who are upset with vaccine mandates or other restrictions governments imposed. But freedom is not a word that is going to appeal to a wider swath of the electorate. Um, it's become tarnished as well by the association in the United States with Trumpism, um, with, you know, uh, certain movements within that, that, that are, well, let's just, let's face it, there's a racist elements, all sorts of things that have latched onto this word. And it's really sad because freedom is actually a cornerstone of conservative thought. It's, it's, it's one of the most important pillars of conservatism, but the term has become tarnished. So what I say in the book is that Look at what these folks are looking for. People who are upset with Trudeau and they're upset with mandates and they're upset with the way that things have unfolded in the last two years. They're upset because they feel blocked, right? And they're blocked from the opportunity they want. So to me, the common thread to link the voter groups that conservatives need, which are new Canadians, urban, suburban Canadians, and young Canadians with people who feel disaffected is opportunity. Opportunity is a positive, uplifting message it says, you know what, what you need is a fair chance. Everyone needs a level playing field. We don't want to favor people through economic redistribution like Trudeau does. He throws money at certain groups. Um, we also don't want to favor elites. You shouldn't get ahead because of your connections, but we're not going to demonize them. It's not, that's not the real issue. The issue is having that level playing field. So everyone has a fair shot at what they want to do. And that is really, I think what the conservatives have stood for. I mean, since Edmund Burke, who talked about equality of opportunity in 1789. You know, this is not a new concept, but it's a positive word. It's a positive image. And language is very important in this conversation because the freedom language turns off a lot of people. I talk to these folks, you know, new Canadians in particular, they're not a fan of the convoy. It's, it's just not on. So if you get that association with a whole party, you have a problem, right? Doesn't mean you shouldn't address the issues of the convoy and, and you know, talk to people and make sure they feel heard. But you can't just fall into that label because then you really, it's a danger that you'll alienate that other group of voters that you really, really need. I'm speaking with Tasha Carrot in this half hour. She's a principal with Navigator Limited, a conservative commentator, author of the soon to be released Thursday to be exact, The Right Path, Conservatives Can Unite, Inspire and Take Canada Forward, published by Optimum Publishing International. We're talking about what she learned as she went through this process of trying to establish where the conservative movement, where the Conservative Party of Canada should be headed uh, in the near future in order to, to regain power. Let's be honest, that's that's the end goal here. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a bit more just about, about walking that fine line between anger and positivity, and also uh, just some of what she found in this book that may have surprised her as a longtime Conservative Party member and observer. We'll be back with that.
My guest is Tasha Carradine. She's the principal with Navigator Limited, a conservative commentator, author of the soon-to-be-released The Right Path, Conservatives Can Unite, Inspire, and Take Canada Forward, published by Optimum Publishing International. She is also Jean Charest's campaign co-chair in this current uh, CPC leadership race. Did you hear anything, Tasha? I mean, you've been around this movement, as you mentioned, since your early teens. Did you hear anything in this research that uh, pleasantly surprised you or or otherwise? Um. Yes, I was actually um, one of my favorite chapters to write was on how to get young people to vote conservative. And I was pleasantly surprised to see um, demographically that Generation Z in particular is an incredibly accessible voter base to conservatives um, if they only make the effort to reach them. You know, traditionally, we think that young people are all leaning left. That's sort of the common wisdom. And uh, there was a fascinating study by Deloitte that I go into quite at length in the book that breaks these millennials and Gen Z down into different groupings and looks at their political leanings. And what you find is millennials, yes, they are actually not as right-leaning. Only 20% of them are sort of immediately accessible. They're called the diverse strivers, people who share sort of conservative ideas of, of, you know, economic um, stability and uh, entrepreneurship and those kinds of things. And there's another 20% that are potentially accessible, but some of them have a lot of environmental concerns, um, others maybe are skeptical of government. They don't like to get involved as much, though, so it's harder to pull them in. But Gen Z, you know, almost half of Gen Z labels themselves as right of center politically. That is huge. The problem is only some of them can vote right now because that's, you know, kids under 24. I say kids. Uh, so only the 18 to 24 year olds are currently able to vote. But if the conservatives make an effort in the next couple of election cycles to start getting these folks on board, that could really change the game down the road because they're going to be the biggest demographic group in a very short time. You know, boomers are fading. Sorry, folks. I'm a Gen X and we're not that important either. But the Gen Zs are ones to focus on. So I, I do list off the issues that they're concerned about and how the conservatives could appeal to them. And that was that was very encouraging to me. I can imagine because that is also often a group we often think of those groups as sort of being uh, already uh, you know, ripe, ripe for the picking by by different parties further to the left of the Conservative Party. If how much is at stake going in this choice? Do you think of, of leader? Because it feels like if if the Liberals either transfer power to somebody, uh, they, you know, they bring in a new leader and they win again, that uh, the Conservative Party could find itself in the nether regions for quite a while. If this if this happens. Yes, it is a very crucial time. Um, when I looked at the, the the demographic trends and data that show, you know, how the parties have been doing over time, the Conservatives have been losing ground in urban and suburban Canada since the 1960s, you know, since just after Diefenbaker. It really was actually, that was the sort of watershed where their vote tilted more rural, and it has stayed that way ever since. Um, and that is a huge problem because what we're seeing, of course, is Canada is becoming increasingly urban. Uh, new Canadians live in cities for the most part. Young people live in cities. I mean, downtowns like Calgary has one of the most young downtowns of any city in the country. Um, so you've got these collections of folks, that the voters that we need to form government, especially under our current system, because the conservative vote, if it's, if it's concentrated in an older, rural, Western population over time, it's, it's not going to be able to form government. It's never going to get enough votes in those other voter bases to get the numbers of seats in parliament to have a majority government or even a minority government. So this is a really important time to realize that and to say, well, how does the party address those groups? How do we make conservatism relevant to them 
because that's really what this is about. It's not, you know, becoming liberal light or changing your stripes or no, it's about looking at what principles are, you know, shared by these groups. And there are so many, um, you know, for new Canadians, they want a better life for their children. The sort of trifecta traditionally of faith, family, free enterprise uh, is something that is very appealing and conservatism. Another thing I learned that was kind of surprising, Edmund Burke, who I referenced earlier, was a religious pluralist. You know, he was somebody back in the 1700s who thought that Islam, um, you know, had a lot of value. Other religions, uh, Catholicism and Protestantism, he was he was against discrimination, religious discrimination. Most people don't know that. Right. And they wouldn't think that the conservatives stand for that sort of thing. There's stereotypes about what we are. In fact, you know, that sort of community rooted little platoons of society, respect the family, respect uh, whatever you believe in. Those things are very conservative values. Those are really appealing to new Canadians. So there's a lot of, of possibilities for the Tories, but if they don't latch onto them now, my concern is that the liberals will continue to define us. And if we split, you know, if there's a split in the party, it's game over because historically the last hundred years, every time there's been a split, whether it's social credit or whether it's reform, you end up with a situation where the liberals just get into power for at least 10 years. Tasha, I gather there is a website for the book. Yes, there is. Thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> ben, thank you so much. It is um, therightpathbook.com. Very easy to remember, therightpathbook.com. It's also the Twitter handle, Right Path Book. Um, and uh, that's where you can go for information on the book. There's a lot of questions and answers. There's uh, tour dates. We're going across the country, starting in Calgary on the 7th of July, and then Vancouver and Kelowna as well. Um, and there's also, uh, you can buy the book because there's different ways to buy it. And so you list off those and you can order it uh, online. Tasha Carradine, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you, Ben. Have a nice night.